0: is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E. G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film about time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else.
1: I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E. G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for this week, Helen Austin. Hello. So, Helen, would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners please
2: okay i'm helen austin and i've worked with luke before on one of his films i'm an actress well i'm trying to be an actress i do love it and i'm excited to be here
1: so and you've said to us before recording this is your first experience with about time
2: yes (laughs) shamefully admit i have not seen the film
1: That's fine, and that's always a good perspective. This is, I've said quite a lot of times, this is like my favourite film and the film which has influenced like my writing and everything the most. It's probably not that clear in other things. I remember when I was doing a radio interview for Unstable, I said how much like little minor subplots and characters and stuff were loosely based on this, and the radio interviewer was like, okay, so it was Unstable basically about time on crack. And that was, that was it.
0: (laughs) That's a good tagline for the DVD mm. of Unstable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may may reach a completely different audience, but yeah. Uh, I guess one of the other questions is have you seen any other movies starring Rachel McAdams about time travel? Because there are four. There's <laughs> four?
0: Well, three and a half.
1: Well, three and a half. Okay, yeah. can you name them? Yeah, so uh, Time Traveler's Wife, Midnight in Paris, This, and You Could Sort of Count Doctor Strange.
2: Okay, so. I haven't seen Doctor Strange yet, but it's on my list because I've seen basically all of the other Marvel films and I'm desperate to watch it. And I have seen Time Traveller's Wife just so long ago that I can't remember Hmm. it, but I remember it being good.
1: Well, Doctor Strange is one I want to watch. The Marvel films have never really worked for me, but that one just seems different enough to catch my interest. It's just, I think we said it quite a lot, it's weird that Rachel McAdams has never played a Time Traveller. She's always played someone who knows someone who travels in time. So maybe 2020 or 2021 will be the year where Rachel McAdams can finally travel in time.
0: We'll just, we'll just start a campaign to make her the next doctor.
2: (gasps) I would love to see that. Well, that would Mm. be interesting.
1: Yeah. She, it'd be good for like the first American doctor.
0: And as you said, Robert, (laughs) like,
1: I think as you said before, like, Rachel McAdams has been so nearly superstar and then fallen back down every time. Like, you keep thinking she's gonna be like, major and then it just doesn't happen
0: (laughs) she she does it well though she shifts over to like little independent movies like Disobedience was what last year the year before it was amazing but it wasn't going to be a wide audience because of its subject matter she she knows what she's doing I think
1: yeah and I think it's good because it sort of it makes her feel normal and relatable more than if you had a big name in something and I think that's the same with Donal in this like Donal has done major films but he's not a major big name actor And so it sort of strikes the, I know this is going to be a good film because I've seen these actors in other things, but not the distracted by seeing them as, oh, that's this from so-and-so, or, you know, this. Yeah, Yeah, when
2: I saw him in the minutes, I was just like, I know him. I know his face. I don't know. I can't quite pinpoint it, but I know his face. I know I like watching this actor.
1: And then when you go through the actual list of things he's been in, it's massive. Like, he's done, you know, he did Ex Machina, he did Harry Potter, he's done, like, a ton of things where it's like, oh yeah, he's that guy from, like, most good films. But yeah, so today we're looking at minutes 56 and 57 of About Time. And I mean, talking about famous faces, this is a, a good minute to say so, as we see once again Charlotte, played by Margot Robbie. I'll just load up the transcript.
0: In fact, I, while you're looking, while you're opening it, I can give my first note, cause it's before the content, really. Cause you know, I obsess about locations. This is at the National Theater, which is where he said it is. Specifically, they were in the Lytleton Theater, which in 2007, they should have gone to the theater next door. They could have seen Warhorse, which would have been awesome. Instead, if we're taking reality, they saw a play called Present Laughter by Noel Coward. Which, among other things, includes in it a guy trying to cope with a crazed young playwright friend of his. So, it fits the film.
1: Yeah, Helen, you see all the research just gets done by Robert on this. (laughs) Yeah,
2: my, the extent of my research is a massive whiteboard covered in, like, things I noticed or things that kind of I appreciated, but everything's on a big whiteboard.
1: Nice. A lot of this, like, I mean, I know the film Pretty inside out anyway, so most of my notes are listen to the commentary of that minute and take notes of as many things on that and occasionally look at other videos and stuff, but I think cause just in so, like in the past few years since seeing this film, I've read so much about it. Like I don't go to the extent of locations as Robert does, but like there's.
0: It bothers me. We'll get to it later when I don't know where something was filmed. Really? I don't know why. It's especially since I've been doing podcasting like this and I had a blog before about a movies. When they go to the restaurant later, I'm like, "It." I was looking up interior photos of every Japanese restaurant in London, (laughs) trying to find it. And I didn't find it, and it just, it's going to bug me.
1: And that says a lot, because at one point, as a test, I sent Robert a picture of the outside of my house. Yep. And within about, what, probably a couple of hours, you found it? (laughs) What? Yeah. So I I guess I've broken rule number one of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) in in allowing a a, a strange man to know where I live
0: to be fair I didn't actually need the photo you gave me because there was a photo of your house well on one of the other sources I used for the information
1: (laughs) so yeah so we go straight to minute 56 and the opening line is Rory saying who actually scrap this what I should have said first is from these minutes Helen what is your impression of the film
2: Okay, so having not seen any of it, when I opened the very first minute, I was like, wow, that's a strong British accent. And I was just <laughs> like, because I, I never think people from England sound that English. Or just like the accents in the film, I was like, I didn't realize we sounded that English. But then I remembered when I've worked with you before, Luke, when we did like this intro, I listened to myself back and I was like, No, I sound really British. But that was like the very first thing, I was like, what? But I mean, Donald,
1: Donald Gleason's Irish and Margot Robbie's Australian, so I think their accent (laughs) anyway is probably, could be, I think once you know, you can tell that they're doing slightly over British accent, but if you don't, it's, and Mm. I I, I can't tell after this whether it's, I mean, when I first saw this film, I didn't know and it was fine. Like I, I first saw this film before I even knew of Margot Robbie, so like she was British, you know, as far as I was aware from this, and you can do it really well with stuff like goodbye Christopher Robin, which she also did with Donal.
2: but what I definitely took away from it was that I could tell that if I were to watch this film, there would there would definitely be parts that I like would it would change emotionally quite a lot, like even in these first couple of minutes that I watched. I found myself laughing quite a lot at the Rory character, like just like his, he, he was making me laugh quite a lot and the interactions they were having. But I was like, I can just tell that this is going to be a well put together film. I can just tell that I'm going to love this. And when this podcast is over, I am going to watch it in the next, in the next few weeks.
1: Well, let me know what you think of it when you get around to seeing it. I will say, I don't think it's spoilery to say there are at least, like, three occasions where you might be crying. <laughs> <Yes>. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in interviews for this, they say little bits about the end of the film, which I find really weird. Like, impressed, they were like, oh, it's got this really nice message, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, that's the message of the end of the film, so... <laughs> but, I, I mean, it's not really a spoiler, because the end message doesn't really say anything about the rest of the contents of the film, but I don't know. I'll try not to stumble over spoiling too much over this. Two of them with Rory saying "Who?" and Tim saying "It was my first love." Where? There. Um, under the exit sign. And Rory says, "The old woman." Tim says, "Nope, not the old woman. The astonishing blonde." This this exchange is brilliant. Where he just goes, "The one with the dark hair, no blonde. Blonde means blonde hair, doesn't <laughs> it?" Like it's it's, uh, it's another one of those scenes where I feel like. Knowing this is a Richard Curtis written film, this feels like the sort of exchange you'd have in like Blackadder or one of his other things. Like, it's, it's one of the Richard Curtis comedy moments really. Charlotte says, off the stage, which is just obviously a mumbling conversation really, we don't, not too much. And Tim says, okay, you stay there, I mean it, stay. And I mean, that's sort of what we, what we get of in this room first, so I guess that sort of takes us to about 17 seconds into the, into the minute. So, we hadn't really seen that much of Rory before this minute in the film at all. So, I mean, Robert, what do you get from Rory in this minute, really?
0: I love Rory. All of the weird characters in this movie are wonderful. And he's just one more of those. Up with Desmond and Kit Kat.
1: He's one of the more real weird ones, but still quite (laughs) quirky enough to be quite good. And he makes Jay seem so boring, but in a good way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I imagine that Rory and Kit Kat should have gone out at some point, just to see how that would go.
1: Mm, That would have been brilliant.
0: If she and Jay don't work out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, should we go straight into the... Yeah, into the lobby. The lobby. So, I made a note as to who the musician is performing, and I'll just load that up now. Uh, I should have had my notes open. Uh, There we go. So, it's it's a musician called Barber who's singing, apparently.
0: And did we say this is the...
1: Did we say this is the band that comes back later in the film?
0: Is it this one that is that comes back? I won't know until they come back. I'm not looking ahead while we're going through.
1: I haven't either. It might be it might not. We'll we'll say when that happens again. Right, when
0: they when whoever comes back, we'll say.
1: And so, we've got the I do like the music in here. Which once again isn't a track I don't think that's on the soundtrack. I might be wrong. It's called Where I thought
2: that. When I heard that music start playing when she started singing, I was just like, "Oh wow, that sounds really nice. <laughs> I must like the... find out what this is."
1: Mm. The film's got a brilliant soundtrack, but this isn't one that's on the on the album, which is strange. Because some of them they have on the album things you only hear ever so slight glimpses of. So this is quite a lot compared to some of the other tracks. But I mean, it could be a licensing thing. It could be because she's performing live. I don't know. Or is she performing live? <laughs> you know, it's a. Tim spots Charlotte, and Charlotte spots Tim. Uh, Tim, oh, how fabulous. See you. And she says, wow, this is my girlfriend Tina. Tim. So the actress who plays Tina actually played the role of Kit Kat in Donal's audition. Huh. And apparently she was really good at both parts. She is really good in the scene we get here with her. And you could imagine... I could imagine her playing Kit Kat, actually. Don't she be quite as good as the Kit Kat we've got in the film, but... (laughs) I don't think you get to see any of Kit Kat, do you, Helen, in these minutes?
2: I'm no, not they, they entirely her, sure, because her. I saw someone in one of the minutes that was literally for, like, a second. And I was like, I don't know who this character is. I heard there's someone called Kit Kat. That could be Kit Kat. I'm not sure. I don't have enough context from this, so I tried to figure <laughs> it out, and I just couldn't quite in time.
1: Okay, well, we'll we'll find out and discuss it when that moment comes up. So Tim says, "No, oh, that is brilliant." Well, hello, Tina. Tina says, "Why is it brilliant?" He says, "Oh, well, you know, there are certain moments in your life that scar you for life. Charlotte's rejection of me was one of those moments. But now I know she's got a girlfriend. Well, that's just a huge burden suddenly lifted off my mind. <laughs> I can, and that's where our, our minute ends. This this whole exchange we've got coming up is so brilliant. Obviously, it's it's more effective when you've seen Charlotte earlier on in the film." But even as a scene here, it's it's one we don't get that many scenes at this point in the film where he's going back and reliving the same moment over and over again. Like he, we we tend to have it implied that he undoes little bits, but this is sort of almost like a callback to where he was in an earlier state of the film. So whether it's that Charlotte sort of brought back that in him, I don't know. What do you think, Robert?
0: That could fit, yeah. Is the first time he did that was with Charlotte, and now he's doing it again. Is where immediately goes back and changes the thing that just happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, we don't know if he does it more, but we don't see it as much in the film after he meets Mary. No.
0: I mean, we do know that he always wins in court, which later it's implied that's because he cheats. But So that's probably happening often, but we don't see that because it's not important to the plot.
1: Mm. So have we got any other sort of comments on the 56, or if you go straight into 57? Yeah.
2: Well, I do, actually. Um... So, I found that, like, obviously when I watched this, I didn't know anything about it. And I was immediately kind of loving Rory. I thought he was so funny. But then, the second the music starts playing, because obviously I quite like to watch films from not just, like, an acting point of view, but kind of, I like to, I like the whole emotional roller coastery thing. But I found that, like, the second the music started playing, it kind of went from that Interaction with Rory where it was quite funny to, you could just see it in his face the second that music started playing and I thought it worked really well. And then it just went into this really awkward like interaction with that character where, oh, I just kind of, I couldn't watch almost when he was, when he was talking about it saying, oh, now I know she has a girlfriend.
1: Yeah. Oh. And I think one of the other questions, and this is more a question for Robert, having seen the rest of the film, but with, with how much Tim's trying to, you know, impress Charlotte, and this isn't really too much of a spoiler because it'd be in the trailer anyway, this scene is literally like the scene before, or these minutes, of the the scene before Tim proposes to Mary. Like, yeah. what do you think of the displacement of this in the film? Because it always feels quite weird.
0: It, it does. And it was interesting because it'd been a few years since I watched the movie and watching again before we started this whole podcast. I remembered it slightly differently. I remembered him not just going into the hallway with Charlotte, but actually going into her, like her room. Like I remember it being even worse considering what happens right after. And so it was kind of nice that it doesn't, like just being near her and going with her at all makes him want to go back to Mary.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's good, it's just, like, how far Tim gets with her. But in the same extent, I guess she, he's not giving her any signals, is he, in these minutes, really? It's almost like, you can tell that he liked her.
0: Right, it's stuff that he... we see, but she wouldn't see it, yeah.
2: Is it kind of like a first love thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> there's, there's always gonna be something in, there. In a in way,
0: movies. there's also a weakness to this sequence in that I don't know if he conveys well enough, or if the writing conveys well enough, why he changes his mind. He just kind of does. And we have to assume that it was in his head. He's think- I mean, he's a- he's narrating this movie, and we don't get him narrating this moment, which is a really big one. My guess is they pulled voiceover out of this moment because they want us to be surprised that he runs to Mary. They want us yeah, to I think guess- he's going to go with Charlotte.
1: I don't know if it's just me, but when I have watched these, this, this film before, in these minutes with him and Charlotte, I kind of forget that Mary's, Mary exists. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like I'm so invested in this. Well, whether that's seeing it through Tim's eyes almost, where you forget that for like the past, ooh, what, 20 minutes of the film maybe? Mhm. Bit longer that,
0: he, you know, he's been... He's been with Mary. We just got a big montage Mary. of their relationship. But I think it's the fact that he does this conversation three times invests us in it so we're we're like yeah get this conversation right and talk to charlotte and so when they go to dinner it's like oh that's nice and we completely forget mary exists which he probably does for a moment too
1: yeah and then reality kicks in and i guess the question is does he propose to mary out of guilt
0: probably because he partly. doesn't have he doesn't
1: have a ring it feels like it is kind of unprepared it's
0: if so I hope he's prepared to explain it in the future if she ever meets Charlotte and finds out that he ran into Charlotte on the same that he proposed. Yeah. Because that's a story. Tim
1: carries on to say, be a confident heterosexual all over again. And Charlotte says, not that kind of girlfriend. What? You think I'm gay? And he says, no, no, of course not. A Girl, friend, yes, no, wow, yes, friend, who is a girl, which you clearly are. I'm just going to go and get my uh, boyfriend, who is a boy. It's yeah, it's 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 such a good exchange. Where it is sort of, it, it's an interesting concept really. Because I've thought about this about yeah, because it is often you know the idea of girls referring to their girlfriends and how out of place it is the other way around. I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want. I, I mean, I'm trying to think as to why that is, but I don't know. Is it? Is it because stereotypically females seem to have like closer relationships than? Males do with their friends in terms
0: of fixed groups and all of That's that. That's probably, probably I would guess why women call each other girlfriend. Why men are okay with it and don't call each other boyfriend, though, is just I think we're we are more likely to be homophobic, so we don't want to even imply we might have feelings for
1: it. So, so Helen, what's your, what's your impression of this this whole idea,
0: really?
2: Okay, so after watching it, I looked at what year the film came out. Not because they did anything like, wrong or anything like that, but I was just curious to know because yeah. with the whole like progressive stuff and how it's films dangerous change. Grounds. It is, but they did it, I think they did it really well, especially watching it from obviously how many years later? Seven years after seven. it was released yeah. and just thinking about it and being like, just from that kind of mindset. And I did watch it, kind of clenched te- teeth. Like I know people who would definitely have that interaction. I mm. I can think of people who would definitely do that, and it's such an awkward thing to watch.
1: Yeah, and I think I think as well, in terms of yeah, the year and progressive and whatnot. There are a few moments in the film. Where you think this is getting quite close to the point where someone could be offended, and yet mm-hmm. they manage to slide just past that yeah. and keep it funny.
0: Tim I like it's <clears throat> awkward and wrong, and so it makes this exchange okay.
1: I mean like yeah. I mean, even when you look earlier on with Dodgy J, like there are moments yeah. there where what is happening could be perceived as nearly like a form of assault or harassment, but it's oh, yeah. not noticed enough. And the way it's approached is it doesn't feel bad. I mean, you'd have to see the films to know what we're talking about, because otherwise this could sound <laughs> weird. It. it doesn't feel bad that it's used for comedy,
0: right?
2: Yeah, I just I felt when I watched it, I was like, yeah, people." I can definitely see people having that interaction, and I think I don't know if we've got to that line yet, but where it's confident heterosexual.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, that just made me chuckle.
1: Yeah, because he, he's he, it's it's because he's trying so hard. That makes yeah. it so much worse. And I mean, I might have said this before. I remember when I was doing my um, my baptism classes, the the church, the vicar, whoever was running it, referred to like referred to evangelizing as like talking to an attractive girl, and he was like, "The moment you stop trying too hard, it's easier." Yes. And I was like, <laughs> I liked that, and so I've always kept that in mind. And even in moments like this, I'm like, "Ah, oh, yes, it's like evangelism." Yes. So he's. He's he, the, the vicar has either improved or ruined all romantic comedies. <laughs> so there we go. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think that was quite a good comparison, and it does always stick in my. That
0: moment. also helps in a way because it almost doesn't matter what Tim says that's stupid here. It's just that he's going to say something stupid and mess this up because this is his first love from earlier when he was younger about three summers ago. We get a reference. It's it's going to be weird, and he's going to do it badly. And this is, like,
1: nearly four years that he's had the ability to travel in time. So the fact that he's still uncomfortable and awkward, like, it Around says her, something yeah. about... Yeah, it says something about her, really. It would have been nice to see her again at some point in the film, I think. Because it, it feels more... Even though she wasn't famous at this point, it feels like two cameos rather than, like... Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like there there could have been a nice scene with her and Mary or something.
2: Yeah, when I, when I googled the cast of the film, obviously I only know from these minutes and I know from the trailer and kind of like a synopsis that I read, but I don't know how big of a part Margot Robbie has. But if I google about time, Margot Robbie is the first cast member on the list. Yeah. Which surprised me
1: a little bit.
0: Her role is basically what you're seeing here. Double. (laughs) Yeah. A few so minutes she's... here and a few minutes at the beginning. Oh,
1: so wow. the fact that she recurs isn't like she's a one off character. But she only just recurs. Yeah. Where like she's she's credited pretty early on in the end credits, I think. I think it's Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye, then Tom Hollander, then Margot Robbie, Lindsay Duncan, but she's credited, I'm pretty sure, before the actress who plays Tim's mum. Even though she's in it more I think. I haven't I haven't compared the two but I'd imagine she's not in it as much.
0: I, I again I think I said this in a previous episode. I think that comes down to like contracting and her representation yeah, is like probably. she's about to be in this huge movie Wolf of Wall Street. That's going to make her famous. You're going to want to put her up on top or <laughs> close to it. I've got I've got
1: a note about Wolf of Wall Street later on in this week actually. So then Tim goes back in time. Do do we get much of a do we get much of a flash this time?
0: We get no flashes. We get no the, flashes. as he walks away and he looks back once. We get the the whoosh sound and then cut to new conversation. They're getting really so, simple I mean, on
1: it. Yeah. So how was this Helen with you? Do you? I mean, did you watch these minutes before knowing the synopsis of the film? Or?
2: <laughs> I did the both. I watched it and then figured out what the film was about and then rewatched it
0: because
2: <laughs> the first time I was just like, "Is it him?" thinking is it him kind of imagining conversations in his head it looked very much like a time travel kind of thing but that's not something i automatically assumed because you don't often just automatically assume time travel in a film no (laughs) well okay it's called about time maybe i should have but i mean
1: there's a lot of things it could have been referring to and i i i i I have said before, this is the most realistic film about time travel. So it feels like such a normal romantic comedy. That suddenly for it to be like, Oh yeah, it's time travel as well. Like it's just
0: mm. Yeah, so down downplaying the effect here works that he walks away, he's back. It's that's his time travel, it's simple for him.
1: Mm. Yeah, like we I see earlier on a little like a more about how it works. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you see in the minutes at all as to how he travels in time. He has to go into a dark room, close his eyes and clench his fists and think of that moment. But once we're nearly an hour into the film, we don't need to see him do it every time. No. They played that sound effect the first couple of times he does it. And occasionally we'll see him go into a cupboard and we'll get little bits. But for the most part, we know what's happening from that noise.
2: I think it would be irritating if it was constantly doing that. So I think it's done quite well actually. Well, I think it's done very well. I mean
1: as much as in as much as in if if in Doctor Who, you know, you don't need to see I mean, quite often you do see him going to the TARDIS. it's a whole different thing, but you could just hear the noise and you know what's happening. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a, it's a noise which is, which is known.
2: And I, so then
1: we, I actually
2: yeah. quite like just before that happens, just before that noise, you always see him really kind of awkwardly or embarrassingly walk away
0: mm-hmm.
2: or kind of run away, even though he's going back to the same point. He could have said anything he wanted. He could have yelled anything he wanted because he knew he was about to rewrite it anyway he could
0: announce that he's a time traveler yeah i would do that constantly if i'm gonna i'd be like you know what i'm Just gonna rewrite completely, this completely a... if
2: you've already embarrassed yourself completely embarrass yourself yeah. and then rewrite it it's fine but he always kind of runs things over as
0: you're walking away have a good time yeah
1: like like with mary like because he's not supposed to tell her he could just, he could just try and see what it would be like if she did know. Like, yeah, you know, just tell but, her a little bit and then go back. But I feel like maybe Tim is so awkward and paranoid that maybe one time it wouldn't work. Yeah. That he has to make sure everything's safe just in case.
2: And I think also it's obviously like a realistic versus a film thing. That wouldn't make sense in the film. It would kind of cut away from whatever emotion the film is currently making you feel. If he just randomly started screaming about bananas. Um, (laughs) But except for that, like, obviously, it being a film, you want to uh, keep that feeling. So you know he's cut back and you know he's trying again.
0: Yeah.
1: Richard Curtis is normally one, which we get a tiny use of in this film, but not so much, for coming up with really strange, inventive ways of swearing in the films. (laughs) (laughs) And so I feel like it would be quite interesting if he had, if he relived something, if he had, like, a montage of reliving something over and over again, and then, like, him messing up and, like, getting really angry and, you know, sort of funny swearing. It wouldn't have seemed too out of place. But maybe would have had an issue with the twelve certificate with they only
0: just secured, as it's already an R in the States. And depending on editing, not to bring up Groundhog Day again, it might seem like the slap sequence a little much. Yeah. Depending on the visual. That's true.
1: Yeah, but I think, There is definitely a lot of comparison to be made between About Time and Groundhog Day. Yes. Like, I know we've sort of slid past it each time we've mentioned it, but yeah, the more I've thought about it, there is a lot to talk about with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tim then goes back again, and Charlotte sees him. Oh, Tim, oh, how lovely to see you. Look at you. Wow, this is my girlfriend Tina. And Tim says, oh, hello, Tina, although you should be a little careful with that, by the way. Uh, there are still quite a few of us old fashioned types who interpret girlfriend as meaning gay. So if you say that Tina's your girlfriend, people will assume that you're gay. Tina says, I am gay. <laughs> and it's, I mean, the, the, the audience can't see me actually doing the jazz hands while I'm talking. Yeah. yeah
2: that, that's <laughs> I Bernal's could feel idea. that you were. When he like, did
0: it the first time, I thought he was trying for air quotes and then I realized, no, he's, he's just, he's doing That's it. crazy. The jazz hands, man. Stop it. And she copies <laughs> him. <laughs> What is wrong with
1: you? Her copying is what's great, and I don't, I don't look at it and instantly think they're being homophobic or people are going to be offended by that. Right. I think it's a normal guy trying so hard not to that he ends up falling back in reverse.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tina calls him on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the jazz hands were Donald's idea, and they are brilliant. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know whether whether Tina doing it was. You know, her picking up on Donald doing it or what the exchange was there, they didn't really comment on that too much. But I think it's, it is just a, a brilliant exchange, because the idea that Tim really didn't need to warn them, like he, he could have just carried on, realised it was his mistake for assuming and to interpreting it another way, but he kind of thought, you know what, I'm gonna let them know, <laughs> you know, that it's, it could be misconstrued, and it's just, ooh, he really didn't need to. Yeah, and obviously the fact that he then goes back and realises it's all wrong. Like, we know that Tim's a good guy and he's not trying to be so horrible or offensive or anything in these minutes. And I think that's that's great and important. And I, it, it is really good how these are areas which most writers would just be afraid of touching. So maybe the fact that Richard Curtis is a, is a known writer, he knows he could risk doing stuff like this without people instantly going, there's a hidden agenda he's being offensive blah bloody blah. Like you know if 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 in the tall guy or something he'd had an exchange like this. Say the tall guy came out this you know this year and this that was his first film and he had this an exchange like this there would yeah, be would questions be probably. It would be you know what's he trying to say about with that or at least a new writer would be scared of doing that. Like I know at least in my writing stuff I constantly think I'm trying to make a first impression to people. Could I do this thing? Probably not. Could I do that thing? If, if there's a question of it, probably no. (laughs) It's basically how I, how I interpret that. I mean, Helen, what's your reading of this whole thing? We're probably looking too deep into this, but hey, that's the (laughs) show. That's how this show works.
2: Again, like before, it's, it's that he, how do I, it's real in the sense that that is exactly how I've known interactions to happen. Just kind of putting your foot in it. And sometimes just not knowing the right thing to have said or not. It's definitely a kind of area where not everyone knows what is and isn't right to say. You Mm. know, whenever you have these conversations, people have different opinions. But more than just the opinions, it's how other people... You have no idea what people are going to get offended by, what they're not going to get offended by, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. And he, he thought he was doing the right thing, but he just, he completely put his foot in it. And especially watching it in 2020, oh, I just clenched my fist.
1: But yeah, it, it, it does fist, feel enough. Like,
2: just kind of tense like, up.
1: It does feel enough like because he's trying so hard not to be offensive, that that sort of cancels it out a bit. Like, yeah. we know he's well-meaning. Oh, you And can we know tell. that he's not got a problem with it.
2: You and can he's he well-meaning.
0: Yeah. It's also a good sign, I mean, it's getting into the to next time, next minute, but that after he tries this, he gives up. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't aim for the conversation a third time, it just happens to happen. Like, he's like, yeah, that, that I failed, I don't know what to say to her, I'm done.
1: Mm-hmm. So have we got any final comments on 56 and 57 before we wrap up this Monday?
2: My impression from him and from that entire thing is he seems like such a a sweet character. He's he's trying his best to say and do the right thing, but he's human. He doesn't know what that necessarily is or how other people are going to take it, or who he's going to offend or anything. He's just trying to do the right thing. He's trying to say the right thing. And it does make you, anything where you are kind of cringing or anything like that, it's because you want him to do well, because he seems like a nice character. It's not like you're going, oh, you're bad, you should just go away. From someone who's seen none of the rest of the film. That was just—you can tell that you just want him to get it right, or you want him to be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in, in context of the whole film, this—this this isn't really a spoiler, but in a way, this is his worst use of time travel. Like trying to talk to Charlotte is the most selfish, like thing he does.
1: Everything yeah, else, he's I trying so. to make
0: things better for everybody.
1: Mm. I mean, yeah, there—there there are things he's done which have had worse repercussions. Yeah. But this is the most selfish thing he's done. And the most pointless thing he's done, really, considering he's in love with Mary. Right. Although, although I guess, from what we find later on, with her knowing Kit Kat, like, there's a good chance that he could stumble, you know, stumble into and chat with Charlotte again at some other point. Like, it's not like a he'll never see her again moment.
0: I don't know, London's a big place.
1: But, I mean, just with her knowing Kit Kat, there could be a birthday party or something that, you know, yeah. comes up at some point. So, Helen, where can the listeners find you on social media?
2: Okay. For that, I would have to know my own Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> um...
1: <laughs> I used to know your Instagram handle, but you changed it. and Now I can't remember. Yeah. Because I tagged you on a load of the unstable stuff. Hang on, I can find it for you. Sorry. Um... Um,
2: Looking. Um, I want I wanna to get go. it right. Um, yeah, oh, that's should you're be You're Helen obvious.
1: May Austin with the underscores. Yeah. yeah,
2: so I had to change things because, you know, if you want to get into acting, you can't always use your name. Sometimes other people use your name as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's Helen underscore May underscore Austin. And that's kind of where, hopefully, when... We're able to get back to filming and projects. That's where most of the stuff will be.
1: Okay. And
0: Robert, where can the listeners find you? Robert E.G. Black on social media or lemmingdrops.com for links to everything.
1: At Twitter at the weird handle of llama underscore bottle zero. Instagram at the ginger Luke. I'm on Facebook at Luke Allen film. All podcast short films, radio appearances, newspaper articles, anything I'm remotely involved in is probably available at lukeallen.co.uk. And this podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Two Men's About Time. They can also join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things about time or anything to do with our tangents or anything like that. If you just want to have a chat, you know, pop onto our Facebook group, The Cupboard, and I'm sure one of us will probably be online and just talk things. We tend to end each episode with an interesting way to say goodbye. I have forgotten to Google it, so I'll just do that now. I feel like I should I have I think this. the
0: new tradition is we end with you saying you forgot to Google it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true.
1: It's happened way too often because it's only at this point that I go, oh yeah, that's how I end these podcasts. And we are looking at week, I don't know, quite uh, quite late into the run of the show for me to still not really know what's happening.
2: <laughs> um, it's that time of the week again. Blake's forgotten uh, what to say.
0: <laughs> it's only what? We're in week 12.
1: <laughs> okay, here's a good one never heard this before don't get attacked by a bear it's night (laughs) time
0: that's good if you're camping
1: that is if you're listening to this while camping (laughs) email (laughs) in don't get attacked by a bear yeah Yeah. this one's for you (laughs) and also you know what if you listen to this at home also don't get attacked by a bear you know we don't discriminate The 2 Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahoney and is a cover of the About Time theme, originally composed by Nick Laird Close. 2 Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions.